G'day, and welcome to For Safety Sakes. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Tech Resources. In this episode, we'll be discussing safety management plans and the requirements for small to medium enterprises. Hi, guys. Welcome to another uh, podcast uh, series uh, for safety sakes. I'm Lydia Hanim, accompanied by Troy Kaff and uh, David Carter. Today, um, there, there's a, um, questions that we get asked a lot, and um, Troy and Dave uh, have a few uh, things that may be uh, useful for us to remember when we talk about uh, safety management plan because um, a lot of people we spoke to asked this question, do I need a safety management plan? So what uh, are the first thing that um, usually um, we need to remember as uh, the uh, person who owned the business? Dave, maybe you can start as the uh, sort of what, what are the first thing that business owners need to sort of be mindful of when it comes to safety? All right, well, hello again, everyone. And um, the, the very first thing that people need to understand, if you own a business, even if you are a sole trader and you employ anybody, um, even as a subcontractor, then you must have a safety management plan. And um, the, the bottom line is, once you employ anybody, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, if you are um, working as a small business owner, a, me- um, a medium-sized business owner, or a large business owner, you are classed as a person conducting a business or undertaking under Section 19 of the Queensland Work Health and Safety Act. Now, bearing in mind that um, under our legislation um, in Australia, ignorance of the law is no excuse. So, therefore. Um, if anything were to go wrong, you would not be able to plead ignorance as an excuse. Um, it's not a get out of jail card. So in order to overcome that, you've got to be aware of what the legislation says. And in order to be aware of what the legislation says, you may need to um, employ the services of somebody who is professional in that field, um, such as a safety consultant. Now, a person conducting a business or undertaking has certain specific um, requirements on them. And one of those requirements is to ensure, so far as is reasonably practicable, that they have all of the systems and procedures in place that they must have in order to keep their workers safe. And Troy might like to um, say a few words on that issue as well. It's very much, yeah, I agree with you, Dave, and, and they do. Not, not many people really understand that. Now, I guess one of the, the, the biggest issues or that face most small businesses nowadays is the terminology of reasonable practical. Does it, is it a cost thing? Is it something that they are expected to, we already talked about, they do have a, a legal obligation to understand what, what, what they're required to do, but does cost come into it? Cost surely must come into it. I mean, what does it mean? I mean, um, what is the act's expectation of cost in relation to reasonable practical? Okay, well, cost um, really only comes into it where the, the cost is grossly disproportionate to the risk. 
So if the risk is low and the, the cost is high, of course it's grossly disproportionate. But if it's immediate or mo- um, a medium or moderate risk or a high risk and the cost is high, then if anything were to go wrong, um, when it came to court, the judge would then rule that the cost was not disproportionate to the risk. So therefore, it must be weighed up. Is the cost disproportionate to the risk? And under most circumstances, um, particularly when it comes to the regulator or to the judiciary, they're going to say, no, the cost is not disproportionate to the risk. So I guess probably one of the prime examples working at Heights, I see a lot of, Dave, and, and companies are saying, well, you can't expect me to go out and buy a harness and set up all these systems to do the job. Well, we are. We are asking it. It is not proportional to the risk. It's something that is you know, a serious life-threatening um, condition. It's a high-risk work. Um, so those things should be calculated into the costs of, of the jobs when you actually go to, to um, quote the costs. They need, you need to put those elements to, to eliminate that exposure of that risking of falling. So I, I hear a lot of companies going, well, do you really expect me to wear a harness? Well, the answer is, yeah, I do expect you to wear a harness. If, you're, if one of your employees are a risk of falling from heights, then yes, I do expect you to do it. And you should really be putting that on uh, as part of your your um, your quoting, and a lot of people don't do that, and they don't foresee that risk. And it's really important that we understand these risks when we are in the quoting process to make sure that we mitigate those risks and put the costs added onto that back to the person that's getting us to quote the job. That's right. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Troy. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the other side of it too is, of course. Um, all of these things need to be written into the safety management plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's, as an example, working at heights, then um, one, the risk associated with working at heights um, needs to be incorporated in the safety management plan as well as those controls. And the, the, um, the risk factors then um, are, are not necessarily minimised, but they are reduced because uh, you may have an issue whereby you might be required to use a fixed length lanyard um, as an example, um, rather than a retractable lanyard or an inertia reel. And um, the bottom line is that it's horses for courses. And when when it comes down to the cost factor, um, the, the cost factor really is a minor consideration when weighed against a person's life. Yeah, a life's certainly a lot worth a lot more than a than a safety yes. harness, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, and I I know a lot of um, a, a lot of people, and um, even um, the the um, the workplace rehabilitation people um, have the view that a fatality is two hundred and one lost time injury days. Well, uh, I'm sorry, two hundred and one lost time injury days doesn't equate to a fatality in my mind, mm. because a fatality. Um, it, it actually impacts a whole lot more people and I cite the case of a recent fatality in far north Queensland at a place called Little Mulgrave, it was in the news and um, a worker was electrocuted and they showed on the news a photograph of one of that worker's colleagues absolutely distraught sitting on the side of the road and you cannot equate you cannot measure the cost to that person's state of mind
Mm. So when we're looking at the, the whole system of a safety management plan, Dave, I guess the whole thing is to make people aware that you know, under the Act, even though it doesn't say they must have a safety management plan, um, they must show that they have done all reasonable, um, uh, everything they reasonably practically can to mitigate the risk of exposures. And one way of doing that is through implementing a health and safety management or safety management plan um, to mitigate those risks and responsibility. And it's, it's really important that the companies do look at it. Um, and as Dave mentioned before, guys, um, anybody conducting a business or undertaking, so anybody that runs a business, owns a business, is classed as a PCBU, person, person controlling business or undertaking, and therefore are responsible for mitigating those risks. Um, and, a, and a safer way of doing that is, is supplying those uh, safety management plans to show that you're committed to um, providing a safe means of work. Um, so, anyone want to add anything on to that, Dave? Um, at this point, um, the, the way the... Uh, I'll try that again. The, the way the legislation is written, um, the legislation is written in such a way that it, it may not come under the Act, but you may find that, that it is under the regulations. Now, if it's under the regulations, then you are required, therefore, to ensure that you have complied and there are certain specific penalties for non-compliance and um, I'll go back to the Act very briefly so um, we have section 19 of the Act um, which relates to the duties of a person conducting a business or undertaking and that they're fairly specific um, they're, they're not necessarily onerous if you are willing to comply However, if you don't comply and something goes um, seriously pear-shaped very quickly, then you will find that um, it's not a matter of being non-compliant with Section 19 solely. You may be very well um, non-compliant with Section 32 or Section 33, or even, at worst-case scenario, Section 34, which covers industrial manslaughter in Queensland. And the other states, with the exception of Victoria, are bringing that piece of legislation in um, industrial manslaughter so um, I, I urge everyone to be aware of that and the section 32 and section 33 are what's classed as the empowering pieces of legislation for section 19 so if there's a non-compliance in section 19 then the regulator will go to section 32 or section 33 and determine what parts of section 32 or section 33 may apply with respect to section 19, um, whether it's section 19.1, section 19.2, etc. Yeah, yeah. So it's really crucial that, that small businesses understand that they really do have to have these documents in place. So moving forwards, if they want to get advice on, on how to achieve this, what's the best way moving forwards for them, Dave? Well, the best way moving forward is to determine, um, first of all, um, am I a person conducting a business or undertaking? Mm -hmm. And if the answer to that is yes, if you are conducting a business or undertaking, if you have um, an ABN or an ACN and um, you are working um, as a business to bring in money and whether you're employing contractors or subcontractors and, and or whether you are employing um, your own employees 
even if it be family members, then you, yes, you require a safety management plan. That includes volunteers too, doesn't it? That includes volunteers as well. Um, So even if you're a not-for-profit organisation and you have volunteers working for you, you must have a safety management plan. You are still a person conducting a business or undertaking. I cannot emphasise that strongly mm. enough. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, I hope that um, gives um, a bit of a practical examples and show um, you guys the uh, direct relations, what it means for you as a PCBU and the safety management plan and what the, the, the cost um, implication. And don't forget these uh, penalties that Dave have elaborated as well. And for last um, uh, uh, summary, what, uh, is there anything else you want to add, Dave? Yes, there, there is also another section, and that's section 31, which covers reckless conduct. Now, it's very, very unusual to um, hear of anyone being prosecuted under the reckless conduct legislation. But there is one case before the law, uh, before the courts at this present point in time, and um, that, that particular case was one where two personnel were actually killed, and um, he was charged under Section 31. Then he was um, also charged under Section 34 with the industrial manslaughter. I'm sure um, there. There'd be a lot of questions um, from the explanation that you've you guys provided and how how